Look at JD sitting there thinking that he's the man. Not knowing, rob your blinds right there, right around the corner. Love is in the air, I put on a gas mask. Hey. Hello. JD's just sitting there, lost in love, not even knowing he sat his cell phone down. I can't believe it. And just like that, it's all of mine. And with his cell phone, he has access to everything. Too easy. Uh, Looks like he gave it to Chance Wilder to do some hacking. My plan is complete. I'll have it all. And with your cell phone, he'll have your email, bank account information. If you can just confirm your name and address. Sergeant, be safe. Is that you? Hi, JD. How are you? I really need your help. Okay, what happened? How can I help? I laid my cell phone down and Rob you blind stole it. Oh yeah, I heard you were lost in love at that Valentine's Day gala. Chance Wilder used the information to steal my identity. Well, that's unfortunate. Did you put a lock on all your personal information? If not, I suggest you do that now and I'll do what I can. Can you get it back? I promise you I will do my best. Identity theft is something that is constantly on the rise. Make sure you protect yourself in all ways possible. Hey, get your hands up. You both are coming with me. You're under arrest for identity theft. Ooh. I'm Sergeant B. Safe. That's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now.
Let's go start the show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of Black and Blue. I'm excited to have you here. I hope you guys are excited to be here as well. We got a tremendous show lined up for you today. We got a tremendous guest backstage. I'll introduce him in a minute. Some of you may know him, some of you may not, but we're going to learn a lot of, more about him and his story throughout the, the broadcast of this podcast. Get tongue-tied. Sorry about that. This is Black and Blue. This, I'm Coach Clee. I'm your host. Your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker. This has been a transition from the lab where we interviewed people with businesses, products, and positive messages. Now we interview police officers, law enforcement officials throughout the nation and throughout the world who are, are rookie season and experience, whether they have their experiences, whether they wrote a book, whether they have put on trainings. We learn from them, we grow from them, we build with them because. All in all, we are human and we're humanizing the profession because it's very real. It's very understanding. We're trying to give you a total understanding of exactly what's going on in this world. Thank you very much for tuning in. We are streaming on five different platforms right now. We're on two on YouTube. We're streaming on two on Facebook. And we're one on LinkedIn, all under various names, variations of Clee Tillman or Coach Clee itself. Make sure you guys tag, like, share, subscribe to all of those. If you want a shout out, Make sure you put your name and where you're from in the comment section because I cannot see who's on here unless you actually put something in the comment section. If you have a question because this is interactive, you got to put that in the comment section as well. And we're going to highlight and, and, and answer, get those questions answered as well. All right. Thank you guys for being here. We appreciate. We got um, workwithclee.com. If you're a guest and you want to be on the show, that's it. You're scrolling below below my name and it's also in the comment section make sure you click on that not right now but make sure you click on that and, and, and check all those things out on there one of those things that you will definitely see on there is one-way publishing and if you haven't heard what one-way publishing is it's a great thing i've written five books myself they're right behind me and that's all through one-way publishing and they have many many more clients that had their dreams come true as well one-way publishing their motto is they turn a mere thought and turn it into a book that's bought so if you have a thought if you ever wanted to write your own book you want to get that chapter of your life taken care of, contact One Way Publishing. They can make that happen. And speaking of One Way Publishing, um, not affiliated with One Way Publishing, tomorrow at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, make sure you guys check out Reading 365 with American Literacy Corporation with Floyd Stokes because there, Derek Dotson, who's going to be an upcoming guest that's going to be on the show, his children's book about police interaction is going to be read by me at 11 o'clock. So make sure you guys tune in. That's going to be on Facebook itself, all right? But One Way Publishing, stick by. One Way Publishing has a commercial. I hope you guys like it. Publishing. Have you ever wanted to explain something, tell a story, or leave a piece of you behind? Have you ever wanted to write your own book, but not specifically know how to do it? Well, get ready. One Way Publishing's here. We can turn a mere thought into a book that's bought. People need to learn from you. They need to hear that story. Kids need to read that book. Imagine if you wrote your own children's book and get to read it to your kids. Here at One Way Publishing, we can get your fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, instructional, what have you, done. All at a reasonable price 
and definitely a reasonable time frame. And if you don't believe me, ask Sergeant B. Safe. He's working on his right now. He's definitely writing the best chapter of his life. Make sure you check out his cartoon skits that air on the podcast Black and Blue. As Sergeant B. Safe said, that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. the one-way publishing i'm sergeant b safe and over there you see captain chaos with the k9 kraken one-way publishing has great deals so we're over here typing up our own books everyone has a story to tell and who better to write the story of your life than you even if it's a fiction make-believe book it can still get done here at one-way publishing they pride themselves on turning a mere thought into a book that's bought. So Kraken, what do you think about that? Just imagine going to the bookstore and seeing the book that you wrote on the shelves. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Make sure you check out the website, workwithlee.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I, I understand I made a, uh, I got to make a correction. That reading is going to be uh, 11, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, not p.m., 11 a.m. So make sure you guys tune in, American Literacy Corporation. But without further ado, we're going to jump right into the meat and potatoes of why you guys are here and why I'm here. I'm excited to bring to the stage. I'm excited to have him here on the live. This is going to be a very fun live. It's going to be very interactive. Make sure you guys get your paper and pencils ready because we're going to learn a lot. There's a lot to do and a lot to learn. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm going to bring Dr. Kareem Paranda to the stage. He's a former law enforcement officer who's went through extreme highs and, and, and extreme lows as well. And we're going to t- discuss that as well. But going, going through those extreme lows, it brought him to be the person that he is today. You know, sometimes you have to go through certain experiences to be formulated into the person that you are now. Right now, he is a licensed clinical medical health counselor. Uh, mental health uh, counselor, not medical correction. I'm sorry. Uh, and then when I when he comes on here, correct me if I'm wrong. He's a counselor and he's an author of a book that I, I've already highlighted on my um, LinkedIn page. You know, breaking the code of silence: a cop's journey to triumph and, and truth. And we're going to discuss that right now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Without further ado, I'm going to bring Kareem to the stage. Doctor Kareem Parand, are you there? I'm in the building. What's happening, Clee? Wonderful, wonderful. I'm good, man. I'm glad to have you. Like I said before, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. Hey, listen, I love that cartoon skit. Sergeant B. Safe is doing the Baltimore shuffle. I said, get it. I said, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you got some moves, man. I'm telling you, Sergeant B. Safe is a 3D character, man. You got to learn about him. <laughs> that was nice, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate having you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. Um, I am uh, Dr. Kareem Paranda. Recently uh, obtained my PhD in public policy and administration uh, with a goal of supporting law enforcement reform as it relates to mental health for police officers. Uh, Mm -hmm. Born in Bronx, New York. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I got four children. Um, Man, I'm a man who is a work in progress, man, still discovering my purpose, man, and, and working towards it. 
Yeah, I, listen, man, uh, you're still discovering your purpose from my perspective and point of view. I think, and, and this is me talking, I think you've already discovered your purpose and you found your passion and you're helping others through the experiences that you've had. And, and, and you're helping make a better world for not only law enforcement, but people in general, especially with the amount of chaos that's going on in the world. No doubt, man. I appreciate that, my brother, man. Just just trying to be obedient, man, to it. You know, at this stage of the game, back in the day, wasn't that obedient, but you know, trial and errors definitely steered me towards that the obedience that's needed now to be mm -hmm. able to do the work that I'm doing, man. So I'm eternally thankful and, and grateful for the grace that I was given, man, to get to this point in my life. Absolutely. I'm happy to have you. And and before we start getting into the bulk of the conversation, just trying to get some foundational information out there to, to qualify who you are. Um, who, who, what gave you the burning desire to actually wanting to get into law enforcement and become a law enforcement uh, a police officer in general? Yeah, uh, to be very honest, I remember um, when I was completing my undergrad mm -hmm. at Livingstone College in, in Salisbury, North Carolina, I did not know exactly what I wanted to do. I had three mm -hmm. options. It was either going to be social work, teaching, or law enforcement. Now, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and, you know, I grew up in an environment that wasn't so delicate. And it was, you know, it was a jungle experience. What I call a jungle experience, meaning there were a lot of dangers and, and a lot of crime and things like that. And you had to either be a predator or a prey. And I chose to be a predator because I didn't want to be preyed upon. And right. so you learn, you learn how to be uh, cautious. You learn to live through survival mode and, and you develop this ego to keep you mm -hmm. safe in um, these undesirable environments. And so when I was thinking about graduating or when I was approaching graduation, I was operating in my ego. Right. Uh, I didn't want to do teaching because I didn't want to be boxed, boxed into a classroom. I didn't want to do social work because I thought that was a feminine profession at the time. And, mm -hmm. and then law enforcement came across my mind and I said, you know what? I can mentor kids and in total transparency, kick you know what while mentoring kids. Right, and, right. Um, all of that was ego based. And I said, you know what law enforcement it is, because at least it aligns with my ego that I had right. at the time. Mm -hmm. so therefore, it's funny how you didn't want to be trapped in the box as a, as a teacher. Uh, and I, I say that to, because I, I've interviewed, uh, I've been an SRO myself and I interviewed a, a SRO in the schools. And I, reading your book, I know that you were in SRO too. Yeah. I know you took that job very seriously, and you kind of changed the game with certain things because you brought in new ways of thinking, challenged new things. And, and you, I, I, in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were very successful in that role. Extremely successful, man. And, and again, the ego steered me in a direction that was inconsistent with where I should have been going. And you know, it, it's a it's a it's a wonderful lesson to learn. I would say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So coming up through the process, uh, did you have any mentors or influences? I, I know we, while you were at, uh, you, I forget the name of the first college that you were at, but then you transferred to Salisbury College. Um, you met someone that's kind of influenced you to get into the uh, police department itself. Did you have any other mentors or, or influencers to help you uh, throughout the process? Unfortunately, no, I didn't. Uh, the only uh, solid mentor I, I came across was a uh, a professor who was actually the chief of police, the newly hired chief of police at the agency that I ended up working for. He was an African-American uh, professor uh, for a criminal justice class that I took, and he was extremely influential. And he was also a contributor to the decision of me wanting to go into law enforcement because he was my first example of, mm. uh, of, of a black person 
who mm-hmm. had a level of power and status that was I was unfamiliar with growing right. up where I grew up at. And so I really respected him and wanted to uh, work under him or work for him because I, I, th- I thought he was a great guy. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so um, after applying and getting hired on with that department, uh, tell us a little bit about some of your early experiences with the department. I know you're you're real excited, a young officer living off the adrenaline rush. And I know you like to work the more serious high crime districts uh, of the area. Tell us a little bit about some of those experiences. Yeah, I tell you, uh, the culture of law enforcement was impressed upon me during the BLET process. Okay. Um, my my goal when I was going into the profession, number one, you got to understand again with this ego, I got to emphasize this because this is oftentimes an unnoticed condition, especially mm. if you come from an environment there's a, where there's a lot of trauma, violence mm. and things like that, where you have to guard yourself against mm. threats, social, emotional or physical or physical threats. Okay. And and so when I went into the uh, the academy, I had that ego there the entire time. I just it was normal to me. To be right. guarded or by myself and standoffish and things like that mm-hmm. and um fighting was one of my coping mechanisms you know i you know i used to have a bad anger issue mm-hmm. and when i became a therapist i started studying uh this, this line of work i discovered that people with the greatest anger have the greatest hurt and then mm-hmm. when i started exploring myself in terms of like well how could i be hurt when you know anger is supposed to be uh like machoism and so this is why the law enforcement thing right but I discovered that, you know, I had my heart broken by my first love. I usually categorize it as this way. And okay. then I would ask the audience, well, who do you think my first love was? And they're like, girlfriend or whatever it might be. I'm like, no, it was my dad. My dad mm-hmm. wasn't available to me in my younger years. And that set off a belief system that says I wasn't as value, valuable or I wasn't as worthy. And I found myself doing things that would be uh, notable as worthy in whatever environment I was in, whether it be fighting, whether it be macking the girls or, um, you know, being the top gun uh, at the the, uh, academy or uh, doing something that was going to get me an accolade. So when I was at the academy, I was all about pleasing the uh, trainers and everybody else and and trying to be that guy to get value where I couldn't have value within. And so going through the academy, I was was the, uh, what they call the graduation speaker, and so, you know, I was getting a lot of accolades coming into the door and that was just all ego. And when I went to field training, my field trainers told me, say, hey, forget everything you learned in the academy. We're going to show you real policing. And this is yeah. back in the early 2000s when I got in 2002. Okay. And um, I didn't know what they was talking about. But the, my history, no one knew my history. No one knew that I liked to fight. And so mm-hmm. they thought that because I was uh, a uh, uh, what you would call a, a I graduated top of my class. They thought I was a book guy. And so mm-hmm. the first thing they told me is that they want to get me into a fight. These are my FTOs now. You know, all of them coordinating, like, we're going we're gonna to go answer all the hot calls. And yep. shots fired, any fights, we're going to answer all those calls to see how you get down, rookie. And I said, okay, yeah. we'll see. So go through all the field training experiences, got into a bunch of chases. I felt, in my mind, was unreasonable because I think people, the FTOs, were just trying to create situations <laughs> to see how I would respond in them. And um, it was in my final phase of FTO training, third shift, well, we got out with a broken down vehicle on the side of the road. Turns out the car was stolen and the guy that was standing there, we were trying to assist him. My FTO was on the cell phone with his girlfriend talking <laughs> while the, the, the call was coming back that the car or the tag was stolen. He tells me to hook him 
And I'm like, hook him for what? You know, I'm waiting for the record. Like, you know, I'm, I'm lost. And so he says, hook him. This tag is, I think, 1075 was, was the code. I go to grab him. The dude takes off. And we get into a sprint. I get him. And we get into a tussle. And, you know, use of force. My first use of force in field training. And I get celebrated because of the way I handled or responded in that particular situation. Right, right. After field training, Clee, this is the crazy thing, right? And this is this is where I get sort of kind of um, I have uh, a, a bit of grief regarding mm-hmm. like how I exited the profession because early on in my career, I had a supervisor tell me that if you're not getting complaints, then you're not doing your job. All right, I've heard that before too. And so, you know, I go into the neighborhoods where there's a lot of high crime, mm-hmm. uh, high poverty, and people don't like the police, especially if you're black. Oh, man, I got called every name in the book by the folks who look like me, man. A trader, a sellout, Uncle Tom. I mean, you, you name it. And I really went into that. Com- I went into the community with a desire to help and mm-hmm. really be the difference maker. But the community didn't allow me to. And I didn't realize that they were talking to my uniform and not necessarily me. But my ego said, oh, who do you think you're talking to? And it's then, hard to separate the two. I understand. Yep. So, and so there you have it, man. And you know, my, my, my career, man, my first day, out, my, my no, my third day out of field training, uh, I was on the road by myself. I got into my first high-speed chase. Okay. 30 minutes before I was supposed to log off, before I was supposed to check off. Why am I stopping cars, a rookie? Why am I stopping cars when it's time to go home? Yep. Take off down the highway, 120 miles per hour. Got off on got off on one of those uh, off ramps, hit some transitional pavement. My car did one of them things, and I slid yeah. off to the embankment and hit a tree, hit several trees, mm. um, and and rendered the car disabled. And I was okay, but that was my career. That was that was how my career started. Interesting enough, I mean, as exciting and as fun as that that sounds. Not too all, all, not too far from the truth. That's a lot, especially back in the early two thousands. Before two, between two thousand and say two thousand twelve, that gap that was considered the norm. Where you know uh, you're coming in the, the job, uh, you, the, the you're being FTO. Uh, you go in and they're like, okay, we got to see what you got. Of course, you you went through the academy, you proved yourself there. Now you're on the street, you got to prove yourself there, and that's not not too far from the truth. We're like, okay, this is a hot call, handle it. And then you go in and get you, the verbiage might not be there. Uh, you're coming in more, uh, for lack of a better term, as a civilian playing cop as, a, as opposed to a cop in right. the role because you still haven't really developed and adapted on being in that job. And then certain things happen. You know it's going to go bad. You just don't know when it's going to go bad or how it's going to go bad. And then when it goes bad, you just react. And then right. in that moment of reacting, you, you kind of get mentally – mentally uh transitioned or or conditioned i should say to being in that role where okay you're coming at me i'm gonna come at you too you're gonna act aggressive towards me i'm gonna act aggressive towards you and then eventually it comes to a head and i think uh, a lot of that uh training is what we see today in the the late two 2020s or so right what made it so bad was that i didn't have a proper uh debriefing or a counseling from a veteran officer. What I got mm-hmm. was encouragement, like, yeah, this is what we need. And, and then you then you get assigned to these specialized unit, the gang unit, the street drug and addiction unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I ended up getting onto the SRT team. And you know, so you, you get into these high felony, felonious situations where you know we're pulling over cars that got dope and drugs, we're working these 
different areas in the, in, in the city that's known for drug dealing and, and shootings and things like that. And so your, your mindset is constantly in that survival mode of, you know, a, a warrior mentality of, you know, hey, you know, I got to go home the same way I came in. And, you know, I'm going I'm to strike first. I'm not going to let the bad guy get me. I'm going to get him first. And so that was 24 mm seven. -hmm. And, and, and again, it, it, it was celebrated. It was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is what we need. This is what we want out here in the streets because the, if we don't take it to the bad guy, who will? They'll overtake yeah. the city. And then we'll be, we'll, you know, and then they, our, our families and children will be, will be at their mercy. It's like that kind of like, you know, scenario based thinking that uh, created hypervigilance that was now mm -hmm. when I look at it, it was unnecessary. Right, right. And and it kind of changed gears a little bit. I know that you said um when you got in the profession, you actually got in to make a difference, to help out the community, to be, you know, I always said uh, uh, to a lot of individuals that I'm the cop that you want to show up at, at your situation because I, I actually care and I'm going to do a good job for you. And as opposed to them talking to directly me, like you said, they're talking to the uniform as a, in itself. So therefore, like I want to ask, um, when you came onto the profession and you wanted to do a good job for the community, speak about some of the positive things that you did single-handedly or with a group. But I know that you you organized a, a basketball organization or, or things along those lines. Speak about some of the things that you did to help build the community and uh, for community community policing in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I've always had a heart to help uh, work with youth and be a mentor to youth. And the only reason that was is because I wanted to be what I never had. I knew that if I had a mentor, I probably would have stayed on, on, on the proper path instead of making a lot of errors. I got right. left back in the 10th grade twice behind mm -hmm. fighting and doing stupid stuff and, 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 and not being in school. And if I had someone who understood me, I believe I could I could have avoided all that stuff. Right. And so right. it's, it's I became what I always wanted. And so I worked, I did a lot of volunteer work. And so we had a, a, a this huge gang issue going on with, with uh, uh, Crips and Bloods, east and west mm -hmm. side of the town and mm -hmm tagging in in, in, in uh, territorial areas and, and and a lot of fighting and shooting on stabbings and all that and so uh one of the things i thought was to introduce this area to the police athletically they didn't have one so i started one i met with a community um a guy in the community and and we started brainstorming i said hey listen we could do this police athletically and um you know hopefully you know this might make a dent into this gang issue because these kids just didn't have nothing to do and right. that's what was getting into this you know the foolishness so um, we went and got, I went and got certified and, and, and brought the PAL to the Rowan County area. And um, I tell you what, it was one of the most amazing experiences that I didn't get any support or backing by my agency because okay. we weren't ready for that yet. You know, the under the chief that hired me, he ended up uh, having to leave shortly mm -hmm. after he hired me behind scandals or whatever was going on back then. And then the uh, new administration wasn't really, you know, interested in that PAL because they were still associated with the traditional mindset versus community-oriented policing. Right, and right. I always had a heart to want to do that. Well, we started the uh, basketball league, and do you know that the graffiti, the tagging, and all that stuff went down? The crime went down in the mm -hmm. areas, in the pockets where we introduced the uh, PAL2. And a lot of those kids were a part of these gangs that I was a coach, I was coaching or assistant coach, to the basketball mm -hmm. teams, taking them to the games in Statesville and different areas. And, um, yo, crime was, was 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 cut down as a result of it, yet the agency didn't support it. And mm -hmm. so I got burnt out from it because I was the only one doing it. Yeah. And uh, it was frustrating. 
And that was one of the ultimate reasons why I decided at the latter part of my career to become a school resource officer to get okay. away from the agency and sort of kind of go work with the kids exclusively at the uh, at the school. Okay, and that makes sense. It makes sense. But I again we applaud your efforts because it's, it's very much needed. Uh, I know I was a midget football coach uh, throughout the uh, few years ago, and dealing with the kids is a lot of fun. Uh, they get to know you on a personal level. They so most times they get to know you as your, by your first name, last name, or coach, whatever. Coach Clee, uh, uh, a lot of the kids know me as, and, and then they have to when they see that you're humanized, and then when they see you, they see Coach Clee, they see Coach first, and then they actually see you. And then when you're in uniform, they're like, you know what? I may not like cops, but I know him. I know he at least he knows my mom. He he knows my dad. He knows my cousins, sisters, and brothers. He's got my number. I see him and when he's off, he's out shopping at the grocery store, picking up stuff. Like I know he does normal people stuff too. So I feel comfortable like, hey, coach, this is going on, blah, blah, blah. Can you help or can you make this known? Or can you have a car just ride by here, like right after the school bus drops us off so we can get from here to here? And after that, we're cool. Simple yeah. things like that. Yeah. Absolutely, man. And, you know, that, that, that being a school resource officer was one of my most rewarding experiences, man, because – implementing the, I implemented the chess club at the school mm -hmm. uh did a beautification project I was also uh, an assistant wrestling coach over there and a football coach over there and just showing the kids that yo somebody cared about them was all they needed because some of these kids came from backgrounds where they didn't have any male role models in the house uh some of them were being raised by non-biological parents so right. these kids were dealing with a lot and one of the things I developed over the course of time that I do I do really well even still to this day is I know how to read through behaviors because mm. I was that kid whose behaviors were often misinterpreted or misunderstood. I was asking for help, but I mean, I was right. cutting up in class, but really I was asking for help. Right. And they, didn't know I, they just suspended me or got me in trouble or kicked me out of class instead of saying, hey, Kareem, what's wrong with you, man? What's mm. really going on? And no one sat me down to ever do that. And so I learned now that when a kid cuts up, no, there's something deeper going on. They ain't trying to cut up. They asking for help in the best way they know how. Right. Inadvertently. Yeah. Stand by, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to cut to a cartoon commercial real quick, and we're going to come right back with more of this interview I'm looking to jump into. Stay tuned. Here comes Sergeant Be Safe. Hello. This is Sergeant Be Safe. And I want to welcome all you viewers and our very special guest to Black and Blue. So get your questions ready and enjoy the show. I'm over here counting my stash. Cooper, get out of here. Last time you got me in trouble with Be Safe. This is a good spot to sell my drugs. 
Sergeant, be safe. We just got a call for suspicious activity. Copy that, dispatch. Captain Chaos and his canine Kraken along with me are just now arriving on the scene. We'll stop and check it out. 10-4, Sergeant, be safe. Oh no, cops! I'm out of here. Release the Kraken. Hey, we see your drugs over there. Stop running, treacherous Tony. We will get you. All right, all right, all right. I give up. I won't do it again. Yeah, yeah, you say that all the time. I'm sick of going to jail. Illegal drugs are a bad decision. Just ask treacherous Tony. This isn't a good view. Take it from me, Sergeant B. Safe. I want you to make good decisions. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. For those of you just now tuning in and for those of you who've been on, uh, we just got done with the certain Be Safe commercial. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We are on right now with Dr. Kareem Paranda. We learned a lot about him. Make sure you guys check out his book. It's on Amazon. You see the um, his website scrolling below. He's going to discuss that um, momentarily. But we're going to jump right back into this interview and learn a few more things and discover some things about what's going on with his story and what's going on in society. Uh, Kareem, you still there? Yes, sir. Perfect. Thank you for maintaining. Hope you enjoyed that commercial as well. We got Sergeant B. Say he wasn't doing the Baltimore shuffle. He was out there trying to make it happen. So <laughs> I know you had paperwork that used a force report he had to do to get old boy in custody. <laughs> yeah, car cartoon land, man. You can bypass all that stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> I with you, bro. I wish you. Well, yeah, uh, jumping back in the interview, we, we talked about a lot of things, being SRO in school, coming up, uh, who inspired you, what you've done beforehand, a little bit about your background. While working on the job, uh, and you got praised while being FTO, uh, not being, uh, while being FTO'd uh, and, and being put in very high-stress situations and performing and being celebrated on how you perform. Do you think a lot of the, those situations toward the end of your career cause you to be a little bit more angry on the job or or have uh or, or respond a little bit more aggressively in certain situations you know i think towards the end of my career man it was a culmination of of what i now understood as burnout i didn't understand it then but okay. it, was, it was just a buildup of of, of um, un, uh, unaddressed stress that created my mess you know and i didn't know how to manage it um in the neighborhoods i grew up in you know it was a familiar feeling uh mm -hmm. it was a feeling that you know led to homicidal ideation and suicidal ideation and, and, uh, in some cases and i didn't know how i didn't know how to deal with it what i what i did back then the best thing i knew to do was to go lift weights uh okay. practice martial arts go to the gun range and do tactical exercises that's how i coped mm -hmm. uh with the thing that i didn't know how to address 
even when um back in my early 20s i went and got a tattoo with a chain around my neck and a lock and i'm and i got this bob wire tattoo in my early 20s it was what i described as a uh a undescribable feeling i didn't mm. know what to call it but it was ultimately me being trapped the authentic version of me being trapped okay and like i said there was no value or worth here and so all my value and worth subscribed to the uniform and the accolades and, and the things that I thought would bring me attention in, in an achieving way. Uh, I went after those things because that was the value that I didn't have in here. Gotcha. And when I got these things, I still felt empty. Mm -hmm. And and again, that also added to the burnout of like, dang, I did this and I did that. I did this. I did, and I still feel like I'm still like not happy. Right. I, didn't, I, I, could, I couldn't explain why that was. Um, I was emotionally detached mm -hmm. um, relationships, man. Back then I would self-sabotage relationships because the main thing was fear of being abandoned. And again, mm -hmm. it goes back to my childhood trauma associated with my dad not being in my life. I mean, this is, this thing is, is a crazy story uh, that after I attended counseling, I was able to weave or mm -hmm. connect the dots as to why I made the decisions that I made. But in the moment, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, and, you know, and, and, and so I'm so thankful for, for this process of, 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 you know, going to counseling and then eventually becoming a counselor myself and continuing to find ways to make my best better and evolve. And it's the same thing I see quite often with a lot of police officers. Well, first responders in general that I work with okay. are very guarded or don't want to look at some of the undesirable aspects of their past that make them, uh, uh, that that make them that imprison them to an ego that keeps them safe but mm. also stuck from a social emotional standpoint that makes sense that makes sense and i know you explain all that in your book again i'm, I'm gonna keep plugging it because I, I i just want to it's a good book it's a good read ladies and gentlemen you learn a lot and i know throughout your book um you you, you were uh, some hold on something's going on with my computer here let me get this. there we go all right i know it, you highlighted um working with two other individuals that were uh one has since passed on uh but he wanted to be known as a, a for lack of a better term a, a kicker you know a blank de blank kicker <laughs> uh and, and 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 that's that's very celebrated and admired i'm pretty sure he wanted to do his job well and, and effectively uh but working in with those individuals uh, I, I, in your book, you, you explain how you get called to a certain nightclub in the area, which it turns out to be rowdy. Uh, I can't remember if you may have known the person from dealing with them beforehand or dealt with them that night, but things got a little uh, aggressively physical that night in the club where um, they'd taken him into custody. Of course, uh, I think what punches or things were thrown uh, and then getting him into custody and come to find out however long after that, uh, you're being served with papers on um, on uh, being basically arrested for, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, abuse or something on the job or something like that. Can you explain that a little bit? I know I'm probably chopping it up. No, 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 you're good. Yeah, I know exactly. So so what happened was, uh, it's kind of interesting because this is why the, the situation in Memphis was so triggering to me. Because right. that summer, it was 2009, I was, we, we, that, that's those same guys you were talking about, and, mm -hmm. and uh, several other officers were assigned to a zero tolerance task force okay. that was trying to get ahead of the crime uh, sprees that usually uptick in the summertime. And so um, it was in that season, and it was in that summertime season that 
uh, I had several uses of forces that throughout that 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 assignment, mm-hmm. and uh, use of forces to the point where people went to the hospital. Nobody, I never killed anyone, but right. people ended up going to the hospital to get some medical attention. Mm-hmm. And uh, this incident that you're speaking about was an extra duty assignment that those two officers called me in say hey man we need you we need you up here because man we got these gangs from this time that time that time they all gonna be in one spot and man we need we need people up here that can handle business i said man something told me not to go i promise but i said you know as i was like, these are my boys we on a swat team together i said you know what i'm gonna go and i went and the night was cool mm-hmm. until like like you know, 20 minutes left in the, in the party fight breaks out chairs flying bottles busting i mean it was it was madness in there and you know we did our best to, to you know break it up but then there were people that were drunk and they wanted to swing on us and attack us and then you know there was one guy that i had to take care of and then um his brother which was a really big heavy set guy was the other one that was um interfering with the arrest and then when i tried to arrest him you know, in the streets, you know, you get this kind of like premonition where when people, it's like, you know, when people look off and then punch you, it's like one of those kind of premonitions that I got that he was like finagling or trying to, trying to, trying to create. And so I tried to get him before he got me. And then we got into a tussle and um, he ended up getting arrested for resistance short delay because he was delaying our ability to arrest his brother. And, and, and it was just pandemonium. Right. That wasn't an issue. That situation wasn't an issue. It brought attention but it wasn't the issue. But the issue was when the um, SBI and FBI came in, several of the officers on the force mentioned to the SBI and the FBI, hey, you might want to look at these other use of forces he got involved in earlier in the summertime too. They weren't even there for that. But because so many people, so many of these other officers kept saying stuff, um, it created now an investigation into all these other use of forces that I ever been involved in in my entire career now the other thing was uh from a political standpoint i don't know you know and i don't care either but i was on the cusp of becoming sergeant i was getting ready to get promoted or or, or my time was coming for promotion and i believe that it was the effort of those who did not want to be supervised by somebody like me that Mm -hmm. they threw me under the bus in that way and so after about you know i was on uh, administrative leave from August of 2009 until March of 2010, mm-hmm. that's when I decided to resign. They offered me a severance package and I left. And I was mm-hmm. still under investigation. So my theory was, well, if I leave, well, you know, surely they'll throw this thing out or they'll, you know, it'll right. be no deal. Now, after two years, 2012, I was unemployable. You know, I couldn't find a job in law enforcement um, and I couldn't find a job at like Food Line or some wow. local supermarket or a gas station, even I, I was right there. Nobody would hire me. Mm-hmm. I was overqualified uh, for those jobs, and I was under investigation for the uh, law enforcement gig. So no, no agency would hire me at this time. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about depression. Yeah. Oh man, you talk about feeling low. And mm-hmm. my last two boys, they were born, and so I was a stay-at-home dad for those two years, which okay. is because you know I, I, I definitely developed a strong appreciation for womanhood in that time period man changing diapers and and feeding them and whatnot when my wife went back to work Uh um in 2012 around christmas time i get a knock at the door it's Uh the agent and the state agent who were investigating my case and they had the indictment papers and Mm. they brought two indictments against me for using excessive force while under the color of law for two incidents 
that were unrelated to the club incident. Okay. Um, and, and, and around that time also is when all the lawsuits came. All the lawsuits came at one time. It's like, oh, this guy's got caught for uh, using excessive force again. So then people started coming for, yeah, he did me too. He used it on me too. Yeah, me too. And then everybody lined up and then they did all the use of forces roughly around the same time. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And so reading the book is very, is an eye-opening experience because I know while working one in the law enforcement, you feel like you're, you're doing a good job. You're, you're making the neighborhood safe. You're making, uh, like you said, elderly people, they feel safe at coming out at, at certain times of the day or feel safe going to certain stores or whatever, what have you. And then coming full circle, when they come knock on your door and, and you get the indictment paperwork, you go to the a booking center and you sit down right beside certain individuals where the, the same certain individual or same style of certain individuals that you were putting away. And I, like you, you, you describe in your book, you sit there humble, you sit there quiet. You're like, I hope they don't read my stuff right in front of these dudes because it's going to be all hell and pandemonium. As soon as they, they get there, their eyes are going to be like, what? And I'm like, wow, I couldn't even imagine living through a situation like that. Yeah, bro, that was that was ooh, that was an eye-opening experience, man. I call it the cell experience. And uh, I remember sitting in the jail cell. Well, actually, I, I did not sit. I stood. I stood in the jail cell. And um, I was so uncomfortable being in there with about 15 other people, some coming from whatever prison they were in, and some people also coming in off the street. And and some of them were doing that jailhouse lawyer stuff, yo, what you in here for? And they yeah. talking about how to beat the charges or how to get around it with all that jazz. And I'm like, yo, please don't ask me what I'm in here for, yo, because I'm like, yo, I, yo, I don't want to, you know, yo, get it in with nobody in here. I just want to Yo, make it through this day and you know and bounce out of this place hopefully they'll let me out man right, right. and um that was the longest seven hours of my life man with the parents and i remember thinking to myself like how the heck did i get into this predicament and when the the uh, marshals were bringing people in and dropping them off and saying all right good luck to you and, and bouncing and they would open the jail cell and close it i likened it to like people throwing away trash to never remember us ever again. And I remember feeling like that. I remember like when, when the guys put me in the cell and they left, it was like, ain't nobody coming to check on me. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just in here. And, and, and it reminded me, not that these individuals were trash, but it was just like the metaphorical comparison where you get put in here, you don't think about it. And I remember doing this 500 and something times in my career to other people. I would put them in a jail cell or, or send them to the, uh, to the county and then I'd go home Check off, mm -hmm. do my paperwork, and go to the crib. Yeah, you never think about them ever again to court or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how it felt. And I was on the other side of it for the first time. I'm like, wow, this is what people experience and what they feel like. And in that moment, I regretted every single arrest I ever made, man, because I didn't know that this is exactly what the people that ran from me. <laughs> I understood. I get it. I understood why they resisted or fought. And why they didn't want to go to jail because this wasn't cool. Got you. That's that's an eye-opening experience in itself. Is humbling as well. They're like you know they they they're not physically running away from you, Doctor Kareem. They're they're running away from that situation that that yeah. that like you said metaphor of being just thrown away out of society. Wow. Yeah, and I'm gonna tell you what's crazy. I would say when I look back on it today, mm -hmm. I would say 95 percent of my use of forces came from people who were just trying to get the hell away because they did not want to go to jail yeah yeah because they were giving me a hard time or what whatever the training conditioned me to think that oh they're resisting they're running 
they're hiding their hands, they're concealing. That means that they're going to try to hurt me. So I got to yeah. get them first. Yeah. And 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 the psychology of it, my psychology was all the way off, man. Interesting point. So as you you go through that whole trial and tribulation, uh, the trial itself. Uh, I remember reading uh, you lived uh, uh, a couple hours away or so, where you had to commute back and forth. That was an ordeal. Having a lawyer uh, go going through the whole process itself, uh, th thinking that you'd have certain people in your corner that were not in your corner and then have certain individuals that stepped up out of nowhere and was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And, and to go through the whole process and the nervous feeling of having uh, your charges read to you and the verdict read to you as well. Can you explain a little bit about that situation? Yeah, man, that whole, it was a four day trial, man. And everything was just so unpredictable. I, I didn't know what to expect. I had officers that I would have never have imagined testify against me or on the behalf of the state. And I'm like, you know, what were they looking at? Like, what, what scene were they at? You know, because, you know, in both of these cases, I was the only one that chased the individuals from the traffic stop to where I found them. And then everybody mm -hmm. else came after I located them. And already we were in the tussle by that particular time. And so um, to hear people say that, you know, the force I used was unreasonable or they wouldn't have done that and, and all this other stuff, it was it was it was baffling to me man and then i think about some of these individuals and and like you know you know how many how many fights did they get into yeah. uh, how many arrests did they make and so it was like you know we, we're talking about working a zero tolerance unit so some mm. of these guys were regular patrol and they would come and assist and they were the ones talking in that mm -hmm. way and um it was it was really painful to sit through that and I just knew that, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to prison for 10 years, you know, because the way that they articulated it and the way that they were throwing me under the bus. But mm -hmm. I also knew that I was just doing my job. I didn't do anything out of bounds. I didn't do anything over the top. I was just mm -hmm. doing my job. I was trying to meet the resistance where it was. And, you know, I was heavy handed. Some people got knocked out. Some people went to went to the hospital. Um, but nothing was ever malicious or over the top. I never beat anybody up in handcuffs. None, right. none of that stuff. It was, yeah. it was an active situation where I was trying to bring it under control the best way I knew how in that moment. And I, I, I articulated that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thank God the jury understood the, the reasonableness that I articulated from my lens. And I was found unanimously not guilty in mm -hmm. both cases. And these individuals yeah. that we're talking about, you know, um, you know, we're talking about people who are habitual felons and, and mm -hmm. you know, they had drugs on them at the time. That the force was used and you know they actively fled from the traffic stop and so these were these were like in the scope of law enforcement work legitimate uses uses usages force but right. what they used to build a case against me um because they, i believe they wanted me out of the department that's ultimately what i believe it was about yeah man and, and that's a long way to go around that barn too just to get you out of the department and they go to be federally indicted that, that's that's a big jump and yeah. then uh, I'm reading as I'm reading on in the book, um, you stand to get the verdict read uh, and then they, they say the good news to you. And I know that overwhelming feeling hits you. And then the walk out of the, the um, federal building, the federal courthouse, I believe that's what it was. Uh, and then to have the, the marshals who have been signing you in, signing you out. They, they, they kind of come to you in a, in a more humanic experience where where they approach you i guess i'm assuming this is in my mind's eye they're shaking your hand patting you on the back saying 
brother. We're glad that the outcome was what it was. We were here for you. However, we had to play the role because we, it, it, you know, we, we got to wand you in, wand you out, and we got to do this. But now that it's all said and done, good luck to you. Yes, exactly. Man, you don't understand how that felt because for the longest time, I, I did not feel like I did I, at the time. I did not feel that I did anything wrong. I felt like I did everything within the boundaries of what my supervisors approved of and what they gave me permission to do. And so mm -hmm. I was just at a loss for like, yo, why are they coming against me in this way? And even, even in that though, I had to look at myself, right? Because again, I was operating according to an ego. And mm -hmm. so even though I might've been legally justified in using force the way that I did, the question now, it becomes a moral question. It was morally questionable. Did I have to use force, right? right? Even though I was legally justified. And so that's psychology too. When I look back on it in retrospect, like, you know, I, I probably could have done something different, but in the moment, my mindset was on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop this dude from doing whatever they was doing. And it's going to be my way. I'm going to get this done, you know, yeah. ego egotistically. And so, you know, it was, um, what a journey, bro. It, it was a journey. That mm -hmm. was a, one heck of a journey to go through uh, from a social emotional standpoint mm -hmm. uh, because I had to re I mean, I had to remake myself all the way over. Mm -hmm. uh, once I realized that my ego, these defense mechanisms and these insecurities were buried under the uniform that I didn't even realize existed. Right. And so going through that experience, it changed you into a different person. It's kind of, you were at, and for metaphorically purposes, you were at the top, this situation brought you down to the bottom where you had to rebuild yourself into being somebody brand new. Being somebody brand new brought you to be a counselor. In that counseling, being a counselor, you get to deal with first responders firsthand. That's not easy to do because we're, we're, we're a standoffish type of community in ourselves. And especially if you don't understand the type of work we did or have done, we're really not going to, we don't open up anyway. We're really not going to open up to somebody who, who doesn't even understand putting on a gun belt or anything like that. Uh, uh, so you have that experience and then dealing, dealing with that situation, becoming a counselor. Are you the counselor now that you wish you would have had during those moments while you were on the job? 100%. 100%. Um, I wish I was, I am, I am the, uh, I am the mentor. I am that counselor that I wish I had at the time because I would have been able to explain to me what yeah. I was dealing with because I didn't know what I was dealing with at the time. I didn't know what the heck this feeling was. I just knew that it was a feeling that I couldn't put words to and nobody talked about it, but everybody was operating in the similar feeling. And But yeah. no one talked about it, right? And so, you know, I, I would say that this, this experience connected me with my purpose. Um, I had been running from the entire time and I needed, I, I truly believe I needed this experience in order to mature me yeah. out of the ego yeah. that was preventing me from be the real, from being the real freed emancipated me. And, yeah. um, today I'm 100% authentic. I am, you ain't gonna get nothing different from what you see here. I am 100% who I am and only because I'm no longer operating according to the ego. Hmm. Interesting. Perfect. How long have you been a counselor? How many years? So uh, 2014. Okay. And in those, from 2014, it's 2023 now, uh, coming up eight to nine years, give or take. Um, I, I, 
not trying to put too many too much business out there or anything like that have you dealt do you deal more with first responders or do you deal with more uh general public and when you're counseling sessions i deal with both um but i specialize in dealing with first responders so i work with a lot of um firefighters and police officers and emt um more police officers but i do have my, my little my little sprinkle of firefighters in there too same similarities man a lot of similar crossover similarities many with military experience and again mm -hmm. it's the emotional detachment that's fueling a lot of this burnout and frustration and depression that uh many of these folks are dealing with and the alcoholism as well yeah. too and so dealing with if, if it's a lot of burnout emotional detachment depression alcoholism or substance abuse or anything along those lines how do you go about getting those individuals help if someone's watching right now they never heard of you and they're a first responder or or just anyone period and they're like i'm going through something I don't know. And, and it's normal to me. But now listening, I understand that I need to go ahead and open up and talk to somebody. What kind of advice would you give them? Yeah. One of the things that's super critical is having a support system. Right. And most I didn't have a support system at the particular time. And so I had nobody to talk to. But there are resources out here even more so today than 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 back then. Um, mm -hmm. You can call the National uh, Suicide Hotline. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's a, a, a therapist that's waiting 24 hours on the other end of that call that won't know you you can remain anonymous and then they can talk to you and you can talk to them about what you got going on and they can you know walk you through some things that you can do and connect you to local resources um right. one of the biggest things even when i did my doctoral study on um what factors prevent police officers from seeking mental health when they start feeling stressed um and this came at the height of the suicide uh mm -hmm epidemic within law enforcement where right. suicide rates were outpacing in the line of duty deaths and they were going at an all-time high mm -hmm. and i wanted to understand why that was and it turns out police officers in my study didn't feel comfortable sharing that they needed help with their administrations because they didn't trust them mm -hmm. they didn't trust their administration so if we put two and two together officers would rather complete suicide instead of asking for help because they don't trust the people that they may need to seek help from because of the judgment the fear or whatever it may be and what that tells me is then what that tells me is this the law enforcement training is lacking mental health education in it equal to the physical health the uh firearms training uh criminal law drivers ed uh drivers training um physical tactics you need just as much mental health education incorporated in the training so that when an officer goes through these incidents where they may have to take a life or use force or have someone attack them they know how to debrief mm -hmm. themselves on the scene or after it until they can find help with a, a therapist or someone of a peer support background or something to that effect interesting enough and and I know we talked it kind of back behind the scenes a little bit and just living it. We know a lot. We we internalize so much uh, yeah. first responders and we're taught to because they um, for one, like you said, you're celebrated on certain things to make probation. And I remember uh, I remember one thing taking a, a physical a PT test to try and get hired by a department that I was going for years and years ago, back in the early 2000s. I remember they said, if you lose any bodily fluid besides sweat or or, or spit coming out your mouth while this during the uh, written test or the PT test or the physical fitness test, you're automatically eliminated. And I was like, wow. I, I, and it just made me think. I was like, 
how many people have thrown up or done something worse? I'm just assuming it's throw up. But they, they, how many people have thrown up at the end of a PT test? And if you throw up, then, then you're just done. So basically, it's, it's subconsciously teaching you to self-internalize whatever is affecting you. Exactly. And they think it's building mental toughness, but really it's setting that cadet up for long-term burnout. Because again, we're talking about emotional detachment. Let me deny what feels natural and take on the uh, appearance of Superman or Superwoman, because mm -hmm. that's more acceptable than being weak. That's exactly it, Cleek. Wow. Hold on. Wow. Man, there's so much to learn, so much to do. And through, going through your situation, uh, being law enforcement, uh, being removed from law enforcement, becoming a, a counselor, uh, you decided to write this book. And in this book, you you, chronolo you highlight a lot of those situations. Tell us about the thought process that you had and why 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 did you write a book? Who Who is it for? Who are you aiming to have an understanding for? Who does it, who is it meant to help? Yeah, that book first was designed to help me. It mm. was my, uh, it was a journal I kept the entire time I was unemployable. And um, I was just writing because it was my, it was my therapy. Um, right. I, didn't have, I didn't really, I didn't have anyone to talk to at the time. So I said, let me just start writing. Right. And that was my therapy. And so over the two years that I was, you know, doing the stay at home dad stuff, um, I amassed a bunch of pages. It's actually like 300 something pages. Oh, wow. But then I took out of it. Um, what I said, you know what, I'm going to turn this into a book because I may be able to help somebody else who went through, who was going through what I went through, but they may not know that this is an issue. And so maybe I can give them some clarity with mm -hmm. my life as a case study. And so that's why I turned it into a book. It was, it was, it was a very intimidating process because Leave it. I had to be vulnerable. I, I was, I was extremely vulnerable, putting a lot of my stuff mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm not alone, but I'm on front street because I put yeah. myself out there. Right. So it's easy to point the finger at me being the guy, that guy, that guy. But I also know that there are other people suffering in silence the same way I did. Right. Absolutely. You got to. Uh, yep. We, we were just getting that, uh, Jamon, too. He says uh, he's in the military. He says uh, same thing. Uh, there's an issue in the military about being a macho, the macho man mentality. Right. Absolutely. And he yep. wants to know how do we get a copy? We're going we're gonna to get to that. But yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, the military, it, it's a. Uh, Suicide rates are very high in the, in the military as well, among veterans as well, and, and, and substance use disorders, and it's very high among them. Again, we're talking about depression, we're talking about anxiety, we're talking about PTSD, we're talking mm -hmm. about chemical issues in the body that are created by the mindset that's been uh, uh, complicated via trauma in some capacity. And sometimes the trauma predates people, yeah. uh, 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 predates the, uh, the signing up to do the work to do law enforcement or the military it's in their childhood you know not having quality relationships with their parents um coming from um uh, neighborhoods with high crime these things and they carry that with them into the profession and sometimes the things that they see or go through in the profession exacerbate those same things that they um went through during their childhood absolutely and so if we, we got a few people on here, uh, if they wanted to get a copy of this, um, how, how would they go? I got mine through Amazon, but how, how would they go ahead and get a copy of a, your book? Yeah, it would be Amazon. I used to sell them through my website, but I couldn't keep up with the order. So I just, I made let Amazon do it, man. So I, I got my hands free. Amazon.com. Gotcha. Amazon.com. So if they put in the title, 
and they they can pull it up. Pull it. I keep going the wrong side. Camera's backwards on my end. That's why I keep doing it this way, y'all. But therefore, the, you plug in this title right here, Breaking the Code of Silence, and then uh, Cop's Journey to Triumph and Truth right there. Dr. Kareem Parando on Amazon. You guys can get a copy yourself. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Had no, oh, yeah. So with um, there's a lot of going, going on with um, re- recruitment and retention. Uh, we get a lot of, I got a lot of kids on the platform. Sorry, young adults on the platform uh, that are either getting ready to graduate from um, high school, graduate from college, or soon be getting out of the military. And they come in, they normally watch the replay and want to know, is it even feasible for them to get into the um, career of law enforcement? period with a lot especially it seems like we take a hit after hit after hit and then we take a hit we come down down to the bottom we slowly work our way back then bam we come back down to the bottom you're like i don't know if i want to live this life it's always stressful you're always looking over your shoulder it changes you which is is very true but to those, those individuals what would you recommend a job in law enforcement to them i would um i do i would because no, law enforcement is a noble profession and we need good people working uh, in the profession. We need people who are um, connected to the narrative of the communities that they're going to patrol in the, in, on, the, on the force. So no, we need people, good people, who understand from a multicultural lens how to work with people in general. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, coming into this profession, it may not be what you expect at the jump because there are going to be a lot of things that the academy does not train you or prepare you. Mm-hmm deal with when it comes to the inter interagency politics and things that go on inside of the agencies and the silos and the divisions and all that these cops versus those cops and all that jazz mm-hmm. and so um the uh having a mentor i would encourage any rookie or any cadet once they get certified and they become law enforcement officials to join associations which is something i did not do join uh various associations do the research on it and find out what associations in their area and join it Join FOP um, mm-hmm. and, and get yourself a mentor or a veteran officer who's got good principles, good ethics, good morals, and and allow them to groom you. Um, right. Every FTO, they mean well, but they they may not be the best folks to groom you. Uh, I know I, you know, I, all my FTOs were different, you know, and they serve their purpose, but mm-hmm. you know. I, I didn't. I didn't get an adequate mentor, and and as a result, my my career ended after eight years. And you know, if you want to retire in this field, you definitely need a role model and a mentor who's got good moral uh, character to uh, guide you uh, to that finish line. Because it's not a it's not an easy profession. Uh, you're gonna have a lot of you know you you, you show up on people's worst days, and um, sometimes people will give you they behind a kiss. Even though you're trying to help them, man, you know, you got to yeah. learn to be like water off a duck's back, you know, and just keep it pushing and not yeah. take it personal. Definitely Absolutely. don't take it personal. Yeah. And shout, shout out to Shayla. She put the um, the code for the Amazon link in the in the chat. Uh, it's there on the uh, Facebook chat and there on the LinkedIn chat. So you guys appreciate can that, that, Shayla. Thank you. Yep. And so you guys can click on that and get a copy of the book. And like you said, um, uh, paraphrasing, we deal with law enforcement, we deal with bad guys on their best day and good people on their worst day. And and because of that, you really have to have the willingness to want to help and be a servant in itself. And doing that, I want to kind of change the same question to seasoned vets. 
uh, the, you know, the, 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 the C-19 virus, the protests, the riots and things that were going on that have been continuous uh, for the past couple of years kind of brought a lot of officers where they're quiet quitting or just doing what they can to make it to the end or whatever. How would you um, how would you t- tell them they did uh, for retention purposes? What kind of advice would you give those officers? You know, yo, it's so challenging, right? I would tell them, first and foremost, they need to connect with someone. Have a, They need to find a support system. They need a network of people they can trust because, you know, if you've got about 10 plus years in this profession, um, depending upon your experiences, you may be jaded in, in, into a certain ideology that's already got your guard up. And, you you know, you're like a turtle shell. You ain't letting nothing get in, you know, um, because, again, that's the only way you know how to stay safe mm-hmm. from whatever dangers are out there, socially, emotionally and physically. And so those officers that are either in burnout or made it through the seasons of burnout or or, or just came out of a a valley of burnout, find someone to talk to, man. I promise you, this is something that I did not do, which is why my mental health deteriorated so bad because I didn't talk to anyone. I tried to go to the weight room and burn it out that way. It didn't work. All it did was make me stronger so that when I used force, I I ended up putting people in the hospital. So it didn't work to my favor. Same thing with the martial arts stuff. And so... You know, you need to find someone to talk to. It was when I found someone to talk to, the courage to finally do it. Even after I left the profession, I still mm-hmm. had some reservations about it. But when I finally did it, I found the right counselor who was from where I was from. So that there was that connection. Right. And, yo, it was the best experience, man. And it, it triggered a chain reaction of wanting to discover how I became who I was. And I tell you, if I had to do law enforcement all over again, I would. And I would be so much more effective because I know myself better than I did back then. I understand. He, you see that? He beat me to my next question. He knew exactly what I was going to ask. He went ahead and tackled it. I'm all right with that because I totally get what you were saying, though. I do understand because you have more self, self-awareness self of who you yes. are. Where if you could take the mind of who you are now and put it in the per- in the body that you had back then, uh, I mean, we can say that for all walks of life because the wisdom right there trumps the youth. And so you you be a, a hugely tremendous officer just because you would know yourself, you would know the community, you would know how to interact with people. Exactly. The, the verbal judo would be a little different. Not saying exactly. aggressive situations wouldn't happen, but you, you I, I'm pretty sure I can almost guarantee they'd be a lot less because you you would have a, a understanding on the person's not talk, talking directly to you or me. They're talking to the uniform and you can respond back in a more uniformic manner, if that makes sense. Bingo. Absolutely. Spot on. Exactly. And, you know, but I look at it from a lens of, you know, you know, it is what it is. That journey had to happen mm-hmm. for me to happen who I am today. And I can't regret it because then it throws all of this off. So I, I needed all of that to become who I am today. And like I said earlier, I'm still in the discovery process of, what else is there to do because everything is unfolding as we speak the story is still being written and i got the pen nobody else has the pen i got the pen now and i'm writing it out you feel me so. yeah i like that i like that all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls stand by certain be safe got some words of wisdom himself and we will be right back with this great interview Excuse me, madam, you're standing still in a no-parking zone. If you don't get a move on that body, I'll be forced to give you a ticket. Hey, it's Sergeant PC. Damn! 
Excuse me, ma'am. The sign says no parking. I'm not parking. I'm just running into Duncan Buck to get my coffee. You are parked. You're outside of your vehicle and you're illegally parked in a fire lane. Parking in a proper spot and taking a few extra steps is not going to make you late for work. Matter of fact, here comes the fire truck now and you're in the way. This is going to cause a problem. I may need to just have this vehicle towed so the fire department can get in here and deal with this emergency. If the sign says no parking, do as it says. Don't park there. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. It would be my fault if a tragedy happened. Thanks for not giving me a ticket, Sergeant Be Safe. Now I know for next time. Well, just consider this your warning and definitely let this be the last time. I'm Sergeant Be Safe and it may seem minor, but it's very important. Make sure you park legally. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Subscribe now. There we go. I'm starting to be safe talking about those park, no parking zones. You know, right in front of those coffee shops when people are going to or coming from work, it's always a problem. That's neither here nor there. We're not going to bring that up, even though I know there's a certain individual who did a voiceover who does that, uh, I'm not going to put him out there. I'll leave that alone. Anyway. <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're right back in this interview. We had a tremendous, we learned a lot. We got a lot. The link for the book is in the comment section. It's also going to be posted in the header. Uh, we're on streaming on five different platforms. We're going to bring him back to the stage. Dr. Kareem Paranda, still right there. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dr. Kareem Paranda, let me ask you this. Through the course of conversation, uh, I may have forgot to ask a question, or while we were talking, it may have jogged your memory. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us that we haven't already put out there right now? The floor is yours. Um, man, I tell you, uh, I want I want people to understand that law enforcement is not an easy profession. One police officer's action doesn't necessarily blanket all police officers. Many people have a tendency to blame all law enforcement for what maybe a few or one officer might have done. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm guilty of that too, right? Because I was also in that bucket of at one point in time called a bad apple but more importantly i was misunderstood and you know a lot of this stuff was taken out of context but mm -hmm. um at the end of the day i i think i want to encourage people to give the police officer a chance not because of the uniform but because of the human being behind the uniform said so it's a tough job man it's a difficult job you got to make split second decisions uh in unpredictable moments to make sure that they stay that they stay safe and also try to render, uh, keep other people safe as well. Um, so, you know, if you see a cop, man, just tell them thank you. Tell her thank you. Appreciate you. And um, salute to them because, man, it's it's a tough job, especially in this climate. Absolutely. You couldn't have said any, but anything. You couldn't have said, said it any differently. Very true. It is very difficult. It's very rewarding, but it is very difficult. You do have to make um, split-second decisions in a chaotic moment. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Like I said, uh, where this is going to the replay is going to be posted. The audio version is going to be posted again. This is Black and Blue. We go live weekly at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with law enforcement officials, either throughout the nation, throughout the world, with that are either uh, rookie season or retirees and their experiences. They have got some of them have businesses. Some of them have wrote books, like Dr. Kareem Paranda. Books plugged in the comment section, or they they have training situations so many different experience levels come to this platform i appreciate you guys for tuning in we're going to con continue to move keep moving the bar forward uh there we go gregory foster's on here i purchased the book and shared the link i appreciate you i appreciate you yep one of the best lie absolutely thank you i'm excited to have have him on here yeah yeah good information a lot to do uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls make sure you guys tune in weekly like i said this is uh coach clee your motivational speaker your empowerment coach your author and your favorite baker's favorite baker on black and blue 10-4 over and out Hey guys, I just got this vape from Treacherous Tony. It tastes pretty nasty, but I look cool with it, right? You guys should give it a try. Be cool like me. Nah, you look pretty stupid. And if you get caught with that thing, you're going to be in big, big trouble. Besides, I heard Treacherous Tony is that lame guy who likes to come around and hang around little kids. If you're hanging with him, you must be lame too. Come on guys, let's get out of here before we get in trouble like Cooper too. <coughs> oh no, Sergeant, be safe. You kids get out of here. Cooper, tell me where you got that from. I won't snitch. <laughs> I don't see what's so funny. Vape pens like that can lead to harder drugs and cause more problems for you. They're not appropriate for little kids such as yourself. So I suggest you do the right thing and tell me who you got it from. Treacherous Tony gave it to me. Tristan, <clears throat> I want you to take me there now. Are you? Yes, I'm Treacherous Tony. What do you want? Do you have a card and why are you selling this to kids? Yeah, I got a medical marijuana card. I don't sell it to kids. I give it to them. You give it to them? What kind of an adult are you? It's a vape pen. What's the big deal? Are you kidding me? The big deal? Get out of here, Sergeant No Safe. Sometimes I just wanna. Yep, I think I will. All right, all right, all right, I give up. I won't do it again. That's right, you won't. You're off to jail. Put your hands up and come with me. Remember kids, what's made for adults aren't suitable for kids. Those vape pens may look cool, but they are not good for you. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Oh no, Sergeant, be safe. <laughs> Subscribe now. <laughs>